home to make spaghetti, meatballs, and such. What? Okay. I have to go through this for about 10 minutes before you all get here, usually. It's not easy being a pastor of a church. All right, I think we got it. So I took my shirt off because I didn't want to get spaghetti sauce on it. You know, spaghetti, if you have a white shirt on, you eat spaghetti. I mean, it's all over. And uh, so I'm sitting here minding my own business, and my loving wife says, Oh, you got spaghetti sauce on your shirt. You can't really see it from there. but So that was the beginning of the downward slide. So you enjoy worship tonight? You know, if your focus, if our focus is on Christ, it doesn't really matter whether you have spaghetti on your shirt or hit the wrong cord. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, it'd be nice if it was all good, wouldn't it? But where's my heart in the situation? That's, that's the big thing. So I made meatballs as an, because ex- I'm going to use them in a, as an example in the service tonight because, you know, <laughs> Here's a question. It's about love, and we're going to talk about it in Philemon here in a minute. But if you were at the table with your wife, and you knew she really liked shrimp, and there was only three shrimp on the plate when it came out for like an appetizer, how many shrimp would you eat? If you knew your spouse really liked shrimp, Gerald put up three fingers. (laughs) You know, and we could we could drive it home a little closer. It's like okay, so if you have forty people that go downstairs to eat, and you only have two crock pots of food, how much do you put on your plate? Or, or do you, of the twenty-four meatballs that I made, do you take two when you're first in line, or do you not take any to see if there's any left and go back through? You know. Where's your heart? Where's love? Where? Those are simple things, but I don't know. Since I got spaghetti sauce on my shirt, I thought I'd better talk about it. I think Bonnie is going to read for us, so go ahead, Bonnie. There's a green light showing? Okay, he's probably got you coming here. It's on the second page there. Philemon? Yep. 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Okay, thanks. Philemon, very short book. And since Father's Day is next week, if any of you have not known that, it's coming. So 
next week. But Philemon is about a, a man and a family and a household and all of that. So we're going to have Father's Day sermons for the next three weeks, today, next week, and the one after. So maybe we as men can learn something from Philemon. Because I hate preaching on Father's Day anyway. One year I was in Kansas preaching and the phone rang because we're an hour behind in Kansas and they thought church was over up here in Michigan. It was one of my kids in the middle of the service, so I answered the phone and said, hey, what's going on? And all the people were watching. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. It's coming. And uh, Paul was in prison. You go to verse 1. It says so. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. We know he was in Rome. It was about eighty sixty. And Timothy was with him in prison. And uh, you think of a guy that's discipling a younger man and somehow the two of them end up in jail. Something must be wrong. I mean, not a, I mean I'm going to hang out with Paul. We'll probably end up in jail for the night's out. But we know that he was there for the gospel's sake. And we know that Caesar was not friendly toward Jews or Christians, a sect of the Jews, as they saw it during that time. But there they were. So the question that comes out of the first opening couple of words is, who are we discipling? Who's my younger that I'm training? And all of us, to some degree, are teachers. We're either teaching what to do or what not to do. But if anybody's watching our lives, they're learning from what we are. And we're, we are teachers. If you have children, <clears throat> you're teaching your children. Parents are always teaching their children. Whether you think you're teaching them or not, they're always watching, they're always learning. And if you're not proactive teaching them what the word yes means and what good is about and those, then they're learning the other. But they're learning it either through uh, just the fact that they're observing the way we live our lives. All of us as Christians should be constantly thinking about our lives in a way that if someone is watching me, am I being a good teacher? Paul had Timothy. They were in jail together. And he's writing to this guy Philemon. And Philemon is a, a name that means one who kisses. I don't hang out with dudes like that myself. I mean, I can do a handshake all right, but I ain't, you know, I give my own kids a hug. I mean, I can do that. But if I had to go to Europe where they're running around kissing each other, saying hello and stuff, oh, no, you know, list left and right, I don't know if I could take all that. But in that culture, that's kind of the way it was, and his name actually means that. He says that he was uh, basically one who is affectionate. He, uh, he's warm toward people. He's willing to give a greeting. He's a beloved brother. You know, and the whole idea, or beloved friend, it says, but the whole idea of being beloved is an agape one, one who lives the agape, the sacrificial love. And the word friend isn't necessarily in there, but he is an, a person who understands what it means to receive friends. And he does it in such an emotional way, in a good way, that they feel the love. And they, they get that. Philemon was the kind of guy that you'd want to hang around. But he wasn't necessarily a, uh, 
a slouch either. It says he was a fellow worker. He, he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, get into the mix. And I'm sure Paul is talking about the gospel. So this guy Philemon was in Colossae, the town of Colossian. We have the book of Colossians, but in Colossae, he's there. And he's serving and he's doing the stuff. Whatever the stuff is that God has given Philemon to do, he's doing it in a way that people want to be where he is because of uh, who he was. Now, the, the letter that Paul wrote to this guy Philemon was carried by a couple of fellas, and there were two letters that we know. One was to the church in Colossae, the, the book of Colossians, and the other was this personal letter written to Philemon. And it was written to Philemon on behalf of a runaway slave, and we'll get into more of that next week, a guy by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus was bringing the letter back to the master that he had run away from. And Paul is writing this letter to plead for uh, mercy for Onesimus. But we'll talk more about that next week. Um, <clears throat> but here's the question. Are others attracted to my devotion to God the way they are to Philemon? You know, the way that I live it. You know, are people watching and learning, and do they want to be? Am I the kind of person that embraces others when they come in? So you get to verse 2, and it says, To beloved Apphia. Her name basically means fruitful. It's nice to have a wife that's fruitful, productive, getting things done, making the money, paying the bills so I can get a Bass Pro boat, <laughs> beat curtain fishing. Now, in that day and age, I mean, she was a good woman. You know, she, he loved his wife. We pretty much think it was his wife. Why? Why would you think it's his wife? Well, it's a personal letter. And he's writing to this guy and to this woman. I mean, it's probably not the neighbor's wife. You know, in a personal letter, it would be a pretty safe conclusion to say, this is uh, Philemon's wife. Now, she also is quite a loving person. It says, beloved, that same word again, an agape person. Agape is Greek for sacrificial love, basically. And that's who she was. So you have this couple that are married, and the two of them have figured out that the other is important, and they're willing to make sacrifices for each other. The spouses are involved sacrificially, not only in their marriage, but in the community and everywhere else, in church. And in our day and age and in this world, I mean, there's probably a number of us of here have already experienced broken marriages and say, well, we didn't have an agape marriage. We Sometimes, Dale and I, we, what do we got, 48 years in? So, it hasn't always been agape. It's just been like the last 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't it hard to really live for the other person all the time and to think selflessly for the other person? But that's the challenging question. You know, do, do we have relationships or marriages that are like Philemon and Apphia? Really living it out sacrificially. 
The next person mentioned is a fellow by the name of Archippus, I guess you say it. I never could quite figure out how to say it, but if you have an archangel, you have the number one angel. If you have an archbishop, you have the number one bishop for the area. He's the big guy. RK basically means the big number one. The high priest in Greek, it's the archpriest, RK. Okay, so based on that, and what we said a few, maybe a couple months ago, what do you think his name means? Think hippo. Hippus. Hippo. The first hippo. What's a hippo in Greek? I heard somebody say it. A horse. You got the number one horse guy. So if Paul wants to call out the cavalry, he's going to call this guy in the Christian service. Now, if you're a horse trainer, if you've ever had horses, besides being hay burners and expensive to own, they, uh, if you're going to have a really good quality horse, you're going to spend good money. You're going to have to work it and train it. And it's got to have a, comp uh, a partner to survive. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of things involved in that whole equest... Where, uh, how do you say that word? Yeah, that one. The equestrian thing, the horse people. But that's what this guy... Now, I don't think that was his birth name. I think that's probably a nickname that was given to him because of his love for horses and the ability that he had in that whole arena, so to speak. Of, But Paul said, and it gives us a clue that this guy is disciplined and capable of doing and training and caring for animals at least, and most likely once converted, all of those skills transferred over into his Christian walk. So much so that Paul called him a soldier. Um, a fellow soldier. Now Paul had a, an idea about soldiers, and he told Timothy in chapter Second Timothy 2, um, Therefore, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. He wrote this to Timothy at the end of Paul's life. And it's like, I'm, I'm thinking Timothy's saying, dude, like I was in jail with you. <laughs> what are you talking about? Endure hardship. What do you think I've been doing? You know, but yeah, Timothy was, he was in it for the long haul and for the right reasons. And he was committed. He was a good soldier. But there's hardships in the Christian life. And when, like Archippus when you get disciplined and focused and get on it like laser, you know, I mean, there's going to be hard times. And are we going to survive that and get through it? No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him. You know, and so it's a, it's a focus thing of being a soldier. You have a job to do. You've been given a task. And right now is not the time to worry about mom and dad and the kids back home. You have to stay focused on the ministry or the mission. And that's exactly what this guy had. In the book of Colossians, Paul then encourages him specifically and says, make sure you stay focused on your ministry. There's a good chance that this guy is the son of Philemon and the uh, Apphia. 
say, why do you say that? Same reason I just talked about, because the three of them are mentioned in the opening of this letter, this personal letter, and then he goes on into the next verse to talk about the household. And so you, you don't write a letter to people and say, end of the church in your house if the three people don't belong in the house. So there's a good chance these people are part of the same family. And to the church, the ecclesia, the group of people called out to gather in a certain place to worship God, was meeting in their house. And so we're not talking about uh, just being in the house necessarily. Am I... But am I comfortable being in church and around other people? Are the church people accepting and loving as Archippus was, as Philemon was, as Apphia was? Are they focused on the important things and the right things during the week, regardless of what we do to make a living in this world while we're here? What role does the church, the body of Christ, the group of Christians play? And again, we're not talking about the building. We're talking about the people that gather in a particular place. The question is, are we all in? Are we focused on that? Are we uh, part of the group? You know, will the group miss me if I'm gone? Will they love me if I show up? I mean... Do I minister to the group when I'm there? Am I there to have my needs met or to meet other people's needs? And that's all of that. All of those questions roll around in these thoughts. When the gathering occurs, am I there? Sometimes physically it's not possible to always be there. But I'm pretty sure that all of us would say, Man, I wished I didn't have to miss. Because things do happen. We get it. But am I there when it occurs? He says, grace and peace, verse 3, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus. You know, grace and peace should be what dresses up our lives. If, if I'm a Christian, and I say I love God, love the Lord Jesus, and do I have the grace and peace? Now, the world has some grace. I mean, they bless people. And there's some kind of peace that might last a minute or two out there in different places, maybe a couple of years, here and there. But the kind of blessing that we're talking about and the kind of eternal peace we're talking about, these things only come from God. They just come from Him. And grace and peace is something that we all need to get through this troubled life. If we didn't have God's blessing and his grace to help us, where would we be? And in the midst of the struggle to say, you know, Lord, I'm so thankful that no matter what happens next, whether it's cancer, this, that, or the other thing, I'm still at peace with you. You know, we often say, make peace with your maker. You know, we've, we've heard that before. Well, when you have faith in Christ, peace Grace and peace. Do I know the grace and peace of my sins forgiven? I mean, if, if you know that Christ has paid for your sins, all that's left is grace and peace. It's a wonderful thing. And it produces something. When you get to verse 4, he says, I thank my God. 
Am I a thankful person? Or is it always grumbling about stuff? I tend to grumble more than give thanks, I think. Does anybody else do that, or is it just me? It's pretty easy to grumble, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy to, to not be thankful or to just forget to be thankful. But Paul said, I'm thankful, and I make mention of you always in my prayers. He's thanksgiving and prayer. Are, you, are we praying people? Are we talking to our God who has given us the grace and peace in a form of thanksgiving and talking to him about that? Now, if you want to get on your knees and pray for three hours a day and keep tally on how many times, you know, whatever. If you got a journal and a prayer book and you read it, it's good. It's all good stuff. But sometimes I think that we'd be farther ahead if we all would just start talking to our Father while walking. Hey, good call, Phil. Or why, while you're driving your car. Or... Which, by the way, cell phones are going to be illegal at the end of the month. You know that, right? So stop talking to everybody else and just start talking to God. That's good. That's a good plan. Just to have a life of prayer. Paul says in another place, pray without ceasing. Well, how in the world do you do that? Well, when you're talking to God about your life, just tell him you want your whole life to be a prayer. Lord, help me keep my mind stayed upon you that you would keep me in perfect peace. I think it's in Isaiah, actually. But talk to the Father. Talk to God about these things. Am I a praying person? Well, the next verse, we get to verse 5. We got grace and peace, thanksgiving and prayer, and now we have love and faith. He says, I'm praying about you because I've heard about your love and your faith. And they run together. We receive the love of God, the agape love, and we give that love. You can't keep it. If you try to keep it, it's like manna. It will spoil. The minute you try to keep love for yourself and love self, it becomes selfishness. Agape love is something that's sacrificially given away, and if we're not giving it away, it's probably because our faith isn't in the right things. And love and faith run together. And if our faith is in the God of love, who is love, and he has given us his spirit, Galatians 5, and the fruit of that spirit is love, it all kind of runs together, doesn't it? Are we people of faith and love? Love and faith. He says, I'm praying for you because I've heard about it. And you have toward the Lord Jesus, love and faith that I received from him goes back toward him. I love the Lord. I have faith in him. I'm trusting him. And toward all the saints. I have love for the saints. Because God loves me, I love them. I have faith in God. I can trust you too. I should anyway. We should be able to. And if everybody was doing it, if everybody was exercising love and faith, we'd have such a love and faithful, trusting community. It's, it's amazing what would happen. But we get in our own way sometimes. <clears throat> Do I love God and put my faith in Him for life and salvation? Do I love others and trust God to help me serve them? We get to verse 6. That the sharing of your faith. And now he's going to tell us how to do that. He says, I'm praying for you that you could share your faith. 
You have these things, grace and peace, thankfulness and praying, love and faith. And I'll take that to the next level and just be effective in your witness, in sharing your faith. Do they understand that I'm even a Christian? Do people on the street even know that I go to church on Sunday night? Do people, do my family, I mean, our witness that we might be effective beyond even that to just be able to let people know about the love of God and what Christ has done for them. Am I sharing my faith with others? Well, Paul is praying for them that they would do that. We get to... Uh, Last part of verse 6 says, By acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. So we acknowledge the good stuff. <clears throat> Initially it says the good stuff that's in Philemon. He's talking to Philemon. But if we apply it to ourselves, it would be the good stuff in us as believers. Good stuff. How many people do you know say, I'm not worth anything? I'm just a loser. I don't, I don't, I don't. But that's not the way God sees it. And Paul says, look, you need to acknowledge the good stuff that's in you, in Christ. He uses that same English word twice. But he didn't write in English, he wrote in Greek, and they're actually two different words. The first one means, I want you to acknowledge your standing, your position that's in you. Remember last week we talked about Romans 5 where we have an access door into the grace wherein we stand, into the love, into Christ. He loved us. We love him because he first loved us. In you, there is this standing. The second one is a point in time so that we have, in a sense, I want you to acknowledge what has happened, that you have this positional standing at a point in time because of Christ Jesus. He has brought us to this place and placed us here in his love, his grace, his peace, his care, all of that. And this is the first two ends. There's another one coming. So... Let's see here. Here it is. Love comes from Christ to us, and we are standing in his love. Shouldn't we be giving that out? If we are the channel through which Christ is redeeming the world, no, no, he did that through his son, didn't he? Yes, he did. Jesus is the only Savior, but he's left the message and the love with us to share. And a lot of it is wrapped around these few ideas of Philemon and Apphia and Archippus. Now what happens next is, if we start to get an understanding of that good thing that's in us, in Christ, the next thing that shows up on the sheet here, verse 7, is great joy and comfort, consolation. Joy and comfort. Wouldn't that be great? 
You know, you, you go all week long and you listen to the news and you don't find a whole lot of joy and comfort. You talk to people you know and it's like, oh man, where's the joy and comfort and all that? You know, your ears red because you've been on the phone for so long. Radioactive waves burning up your cells. You know, it's like, where's the comfort and the joy? But if if we understood what we have in Christ and what He has placed in us and it's in Him, then there's this, yeah, life is hard thing. You know, we're trying to be good soldiers here, Lord. We're trying to... But there is grace and peace and thanks, plenty of things to be thankful for and to be praying about. And there's this love and faith thing. And when you get it all together, when you get it figured out, that's when the comfort and joy start to flow. If we don't understand how much God loves us, and I don't think we ever will, but there's some point where we have to say by faith, I believe that he loves me. And it should produce for us a certain amount of resting joy and comfort. And comfort being the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit who comes alongside to comfort, the advocate paraclete guy. The comforter, he's called in John. It's the same word. And that Christ has given us all of that. And so when we don't find a resting place, like the sparrow on the throne of God, if we don't find that resting place at the altar, it could be that we're not really focused on what love God has had for us when he sent forth his Son. Oh, look, in your love. He's praying about us. You have great comfort and consolation in your love. It's like the third in. In. So you get a standing in a position at a point in time. And this is an odd word because it really means distribution. That the love needs to be distributed. It has been distributed to us. And we need to distribute it also, and when you get to the point of understanding the love and have the peace and the great, all of that, and the joy and the comfort of knowing sins forgiven, everything in some sense gets easier to just share with people. You know, I love the Lord Jesus. He's my only Savior. There's a lot to be thankful for. And just start sharing life with people and uh, see what happens from there. Standing at a point in time to distribute his love. Those are the three ends in that passage. Now, Philemon and his family having understood that, he says, I know this is about you. I know this is all true because why? Because you have refreshed the saints. You have done it. You're... Everything that you are, Philemon, and your family, everything that you are, what you've done is cause others to find a way to stop moving. Just stop moving. You you watch cowboy movies, anybody? They're bloody sometimes. But the guy gets shot, and they got to pull this lead out of there, you know, and hold him down. And they 
half a dozen wild people jump on it, and they, they don't have all the equipment, you know. In the in the pain of life, and in the struggle, and then, you know, we're just. And I feel sometimes like everybody's screaming at me. Just lay still. Just let us hold you. Let us calm you down. And that's what that word means, basically, to just a, a refreshing. Just calm down. So when you get uh, that grace and peace, back up one more there yet. I lost the words. Grace and peace, thankful and praying, love and faith, joy and comfort, love, refreshing. That's what Philemon is talking about during this. Paul is talking. And the last word, brother. We'll carry on from there. But brother basically is, uh, we're all the same. We, you know, we have different mothers in a sense, but we're part of the same community. And it literally means ancestry, same motherhood. But Paul is just saying it. This is, this is family. And somewhere in all of that, there is a way to live. But it all is uh, his family, his church, his flock, his pasture, his people. It all belongs to Christ. And we begin to acknowledge His greatness in our lives, what He has done for us, then, then we have a better shot at it. Come on up, Amanda. There's a few observations and a few questions, but it's basically talking about a very small family with a very big heart, big love. And maybe the gathering place is little, but there still can be big love and big things going on. You know, gathering place eight, lions three. So you can stand. We're going to sing, uh, Thou art worthy. <clears throat> Thank you for the night. We'd ask your blessing on us as we go. And uh, help us to understand the three ends, that we have a standing, a point in time, and an opportunity to share and distribute your love. We just thank you for it to us. Help us to give it away in Jesus' name. Amen.